Drinking no things, drinking no things, drinking no things, drinking no things, drinking Samwell. Samwell's in this, in this one. <laughs> Hello, I'm resident Cersei Lannister apologist Jackson Eflin. And I'm your co-host Alex Greyhawk. And we're jumping in with our limited run series, Gratuitous Thrones. We're going to go over the last season of Game of Thrones now that it started and we watch it anyway we talk about it after we do so so we might as well just create more content yay and before we start i do want to say that the show has various troubles we're not always going to unpack them there's a lot to get into so if we don't talk about something it's not because we're ignoring it it's just because we don't always have the time assume this is going to be spoiler filled as well as full of all the triggers that are on the show yeah that out of the way what really grabs me about the show, apart from just having like strong writing, uh, acting, all that jazz, is that it does a very good job of having exciting setups and payoffs for things. This episode was full of reunions, and every time we're like, oh my gosh, these characters are interacting for the first time in eight seasons. What's that going to be like? And I think now the sprawling structure is finally drawing towards a close. We're going to get a lot of exciting payoffs for that stuff, and I'm excited about that. Mm. Also, one of the reasons I just love this show, it's... Right now, the best thing we have as far as fantasy go, I'm a huge fantasy fan. Uh, I grew up reading it. And unfortunately, for a number of reasons, fantasy has not made a very good transition to television and film. You have Harry Potter, you have the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and you have this. And that's about it. There's every once in a while like a Stardust or a Dragonheart 4, but there's very little good live-action fantasy out there, at least of the epic fantasy variety. Mm -hmm. So we're here to celebrate kind of the the good fantasy of this decade. And speaking of celebrations, this season opener is definitely exactly that. We've talked about there's so many reunions, but the front half of the episode is kind of structured as this mirror of the very first episode of the series, where everything's happening in Winterfell. You have the procession of the royal family into Winterfell on horseback, but this time it's John and Daenerys and their retinue of Unsullied and Dothraki. But Tyrion's there both times. Mm -hmm. And we even have some of the same shot composition, like when John is greeting all of his siblings, they're all arranged in the exact same way. I'm not sure they're standing in the exact same order, but they're definitely in the same courtyard. The camera's looking at them from the same kind of angles. The light's about the same. Yeah, the only difference is everyone's much older, much more haggard. It's winter as opposed to the height of summer, and there are quite a few less Starks this time around. Yeah, but a lot more allies. Brienne got no lines despite being in shots, and I'm salty about that. Uh, To be fair, neither did Jaime. That's true, that's true. We'll get to him later. Yeah. I also really like how the procession is really just a parade of people Arya thought were dead. <laughs> Between Gendry and the Hound, and even to a certain extent to John, it's just, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. And there are some dragons in there, and I think as a whole, we thought dragons were dead, so you can have mm. that in there. Also, I love the comparison of Arya's face and Sansa's face when we see dragons for the first time. Arya lights up like, wow, that's so cool. Sansa looks surprised and scared than resolute because she knows how dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. I appreciate showing how far these characters have grown through that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just showing how many characters have changed. Almost every reunion that we have has a little bit of that. I think one of the strongest ones is the reunion between Tyrion and Sansa. 
they haven't seen each other since the purple wedding mm-hmm. which has a truly amazing line where Tyrion's saying you know was it was a pretty terrible wedding and Sansa just like eh, had its moments referring to the death of Joffrey and I was like yes part of that scene also really felt like Tyrion talking directly to the audience about many people underestimated you most of those people are now dead Sansa getting to essentially have the last word in a scene was really great because, I mean, Tyrion is always the last word guy. That's his whole thing. This episode had a lot of great Sansa moments, and I love Sansa, so I'm glad we got that. Yeah, I've grown to finally appreciate Sansa over the past season or two. Oh, speaking of people who I've oscillated my appreciation of, Bran did not have the time for any of the people arguing about who should be king of what chunk of land. He was just like, no. The dead are coming. We can argue about this later. We should all be marshalling our forces right now. To be fair, John is the same way. He reiterated that specifically to Sansa towards the end of the episode. Yeah, but Bran said it first. Fair enough. Then again, Lyanna did have the time. <laughs> and while I agree that it is not useful right now, I still appreciate Lyanna Mormont just getting up in a room full of people who are all older and bigger than her and being like, no, here are my thoughts about the things you have done, Jon Snow. Can we also talk about how Jorah still hasn't even said hi to his goddamn niece? For those of you who are unfamiliar, Jorah is also known as Lord Friendzone. Yeah, if it refers to someone named Lord Friendzone, that's who we're talking about. <laughs> oh, Jorah, I forgot he was in this. It's not that he's a bad character, there's just other better characters now. I mean, he's in one of the best scenes in this episode. He doesn't get any lines during it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he gets a few, but none of importance. Yeah, no. He's there to be a, a not-dead person. So, surprisingly, the emotional fulcrum of this episode is Samuel Tarly. Which, honestly, should not be surprising. Samuel Tarly has consistently been a truly phenomenal character who is incredibly well-acted, has all these great moments, and is a really fun exploration of what it's like to be a very soft person in a very hard world. Yeah. And we get two scenes and a transition in between with... Sam, Danny has to reveal to him, your father and brother died opposing me. I burned them alive because they would not bend the knee. I mean, she didn't say burn them alive, but yes. Yeah. I mean, that is what happened. Yes. And Sam is barely holding it together. He asks to be excused. Even then, he goes, I'm talking to the queen. Leaves. He runs into Bran outside, and Bran's like, it's time to tell John about his true parentage. Which... While true, is maybe not where Sam needs to be right now. Sam needs to have a good cry. Yeah. Also, I didn't realize that scene was going to go that way because I forgot about the whole thing with House Tarly because I didn't do a rewatch, so I've forgotten chunks of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. As, as soon as they brought it up, I'm like, oh, he hasn't been told yet, has he? It was heart-wrenching to watch. So, after all of that, and Bran, Sam is a loyal soldier, does what he's told, and so he goes down to the Stark catacombs and confronts John in this emotionally raw state. And tells him that he is Aegon Targaryen. The true heir to the Iron Throne. And specifically calling out Daenerys' actions and it's like, did you know? Would you have done the same? And there's a great bit where he tells John, you gave up the crown for your people, would she do the same? And, oh. A lot of good reads in this episode. Mm. There's been a lot of back and forth about 
people debating on whether or not Daenerys is the hero or the villain of this story. And this episode is not making it subtle that she's the villain. Mm -hmm. There's that scene, I think, that makes it pretty clear to us all that she probably would not have. There's the way that she doesn't want Sansa's friendship. She wants her obeisance. But also... When John gets on a dragon for the first time, his first time riding a dragon, which is pretty much the iconic fantasy thing of boy on dragon where you put the exciting music, that's some somber, dark, off-key music. That is letting us know this is bad, this is dark, this is not a good thing that's happening. I honestly thought the dragon flight scene was just, it was okay, it went on for a little bit too long. Yeah, but I mean, I don't mind watching dragons do things. <laughs> yeah, even if they're like weird two-legged dragons. I just whatever. wish it. I wish it was doing more narratively. It really just kind of felt like, hey, look at this spectacle as a breather for all the politicking that's going on. Yeah, which you know, I get. I think it in general did help the pace of the episode. I just wish it was a little bit more interesting. Besides, ooh, look at these pretty landscapes with these CGI dragons over top. And you can probably make the same argument for the three sex workers attending Braun in that one scene, which is kind of the same sort of like, ooh, look at these pretty um, landscapes. Yes, we do have three nude women and no nude men in this episode. Mm -hmm. So th there's the nudity count. Death count, we have a single death this episode. Lord Umber, who it's totally fine if you don't know, he is a prepubescent lord who has sworn fealty to House Stark. He goes to grab his men from... Umbertopia. You know, for lack of a better word. And then we have Tormen and some of the Night's Watch who run into each other after the place has been massacred. There's blood, but no bodies. Not a good sign. And then they find Lord Umber speared to a wall with a spiral of limbs around him. Got that distinctive White Walker style of body parts and circles. Lord Umber wakes up and they're like, nope, we know what to do with zombies and stab them and the whole thing gets set on fire and he's Lord Umber now. And that's the end of House Umber. Yep. We also uh, find out that the Night King's army is between them and Winterfell and they need to try and get figure out how to get back before the dead do. They only have two episodes to get, well, no, they have one episode to get somewhere safe. Yeah. We've been focusing a lot on what's going on in Winterfell. We should talk a little bit about what's going on in King's Landing. We can. I mean, there's some important things that happen there. Oh, sure. But I only care about two people who are in the King's Landing part of the narrative, so... Yeah, but one of them, Cersei. Yeah, that's true. You're on Neg Cersei until she's like, having sex with him will be useful for, for future plots. Fine. They have a weird dynamic that is kind of fun and I, I part of me wants to like it but I hate show Euron so much he's such a frat boy past his prime and it just uh. they deserve each other it's not that she deserves better but she can do better uh. <laughs> listen being a Cersei Lannister apologist is really hard <laughs> yeah especially because she just contracted Bronn of the Blackwater to assassinate her brothers in the north admittedly one of them did try to kill an eight-year-old boy yeah, he has to come to terms with that as soon as he steps off his horse in Winterfell. Because Bran's just sitting there in his wheelchair, staring at him as he gets off. That's actually how the episode ends. Which is going to be real fun to see. Yeah, the only way I can read that is as a bad omen. I think Jamie is going to die in the next two episodes. See, I still think that Jamie's. Well, okay, so do you want to talk about the uh, Cersei death theories we were having? Sure. It has long been like guessed by the fandom that Jamie's going to kill Cersei. That's just a thing we've all, like. I feel like it's kind of a common thing. But Cersei's pregnant now, and we're wondering if she's going to die in childbirth. 
Yeah, I mean, she's pregnant, and it is specifically with Jamie's child. One of the reasons that she bet a year on, so she has an out. Mm -hmm. You know, slightly better. Yeah, but especially since her mother died in childbirth. Mm -hmm. uh, And it... We have the prophecy of, you know, her and the three golden shrouds. It does not mention a fourth golden shroud for a fourth child. Mm -mm. So it is very unlikely that this child is going to, is going to die before Cersei at the very least. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something incredibly poetic about Cersei who has always been devoted to her children being killed by one of them. Mm -hmm. It's weird and dark, but it still has a certain fittingness to it that I I think is maybe even more so than Jaime killing her. Mm Mm-hmm. We establish it's Jamie's kid, so in an indirect way, he sort of is. Yeah, which I mean is admittedly kind of working around the prophecy, but that's what prophecies are for. Yeah. I'd also be really interested to see if the uh, child was a dwarf like Tyrion was. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. And the other character in King's Landing that I care about is Yara! Theon rescuing Yara was great. Yara immediately headbutting him the second she was rescued and then offering him a hand up was also great. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It looks like we're heading for a. Theon Greyjoy redemption arc because him and Yara were sailing to the Iron Islands to take them back since Euron is off betting Cersei in King's Landing. But Theon's like, I want to go to Winterfell. I want to help the Starks. Mm-hmm. Which means that Yara is probably not going to go to Winterfell, which means I'm denied the Yara Sansa flirt scene that I want. Um, I think Theon's been headed for a redemption arc for a very long time. It's just he's got a long way to go and he's not necessarily trying very hard. So yeah, like he really wasn't trying terribly hard until towards the end of last season. You know, it's like I need to get a ship together and go save Yara. Yeah, after I abandoned her to you know be captured. Right. I don't think there's no version of reality where Theon gets a happy ending, but I'm pretty sure he's going to like die heroically, which is kind of fitting for him as an Iron Islander, and also would be a good way to end that redemption arc, mm-hmm. especially if he dies saving Bran. Mm-hmm. I think we should talk about like where we see the emotional themes of the season going. I think the biggest one and the one that the episode has the most evidence for is John having this very real choice to make between is he a Stark first or is he a Targaryen first? Mm-hmm. Not just because he is from the lineage of, of both, but he grew up as a Stark, but he is falling in love with a Targaryen. I assume he's going to choose the Starks, but we'll see. It also really depends on what happens with Danny, because I think her interaction with Sam is going to be somewhat of a wake-up call for her. She went into that meeting trying to offer Sam a reward for how much he has helped her with Jorah and researching the Dragonglass. He's been invaluable, and she had to deliver the news that she herself killed his father and brother. Yep. I think Danny's idea of this just queen who only victimizes the bad people is going to be turned on its head. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, it's not like, like the Tarleys were great people, Yeah, but there are still emotional consequences. And I like that Sam is allowed to feel a lot of emotions, a lot of complicated emotions about the people who are awful to him, but were still his family. That's a, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like I said, when we were watching, he's doubly not eligible to be Lord Tarly because he got the, the Night's Watch and also being a maester. But I don't know. There's a part of me that wants him to like be un-Night's Watched, un so he can be a lord and have a happy family. I mean, I think a lot of things are probably going to change after this war because unless Gendry is somehow able to claim the Baratheon name, that house is dead. Yeah. 
What house is there left at this point? We've got Lannisters, Starks, Targaryens. I think there is... We have Robin Aaron, who is... Oh, yeah, there's technically an Aaron, so we got four. Yeah, yeah, I think Robin Aaron's still around. We haven't seen him at all. No. We had Littlefinger, who was kind of running the kingdom in his stead, but Littlefinger died last season. Yeah. I assume that they're still nominally around, but not very actively so. Yeah. yeah. I think there is a single Tully left. Mm, yeah. The one who got captured by the phrase. Yeah. I'm um, still around somewhere. Blackfish is dead, and I'm sad. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in Dorne. I don't think anyone cares what's going on in Dorne. No. I guess technically the Iron Islanders are are a kingdom technically, so they're around. So really only a few kingdoms are gone at this point. Yeah, I mean the the Riverlands, High Garden, the Twins, yeah. and the Stormlands. Yeah. So I mean that's about half. Yeah. And the twins were only kind of there, so yeah. Uh, other emotional themes we're probably going to get. I think another major one is going to be Bronn. I mean, he's very much talked like, I work for whoever is paying me to, but he just got paid to kill two of his closest friends between Tyrion and Jaime, who have been by his side for most of the series. I could be wrong. He betrayed both of them, didn't he? Or just Tyrion? Uh, both of them, because he w- wouldn't fight with Jaime last season. Right. And I think him both... Although he did also save him from being roasted by a dragon. Yeah. But he has, at some point, metaphorically backstabbed both of these people, and so there may be some element of guilt in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one thing to metaphorically backstab one. It's something else entirely to literally do it. Mm-hmm. Then again, I could see it being within the realm of possibility for the show that that might still happen. Mm-hmm. Bronn is a fun character. I've never seen much in him that made him seem super redeemable or super likely to have a redemption arc. So yeah. we'll see. He, he's kind of always been this sort of unrepentant bastard. Mm-hmm. Which is what you like about him, but until you don't. Yeah. I mean, same thing with the Hound. Yeah. I was kind of underwhelmed by the Hound Hario reunion. Like, it was fine, but... I think it would have been better left for a, another episode that wasn't so cra- already crowded with reunions. Mm-hmm. Especially since we had to have the Arya Gundry reunion as well. Mm-hmm. And that was the same scene. Mm-hmm. And there's also the scene where we find out that Gendry has figured out how to forge dragonglass weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Hound now has a big-ass dragonglass axe. Mm-hmm. Which means that Gendry's probably going to figure out how to make Valerian steel. So it's almost definitely made from uh, dragonglass. Yep. He even comments about a piece of Valyrian steel that Arya gives him. Mm-hmm. And then plans for something else. Yeah, I didn't get a good look at the diagrams. They didn't make a whole lot of sense. We'll probably figure out more in the coming episodes. Mm-hmm. Which would mean Arya would have three weapons total, which is more than most people, really, because most people just have the one signature weapon. Mm-hmm. I'm really sad that because of her role as Lady of Winterfell, Sansa has to have a lot of scenes of sitting around in her office being upset about things that are going on because she's not great with the exposition stuff and she has she tends to have exposition heavy scenes mm-hmm. like her scene with Tyrion is way better than her scene with john talking about like are you a man or a muppet yeah we'll we'll see where all that goes especially with how she's treated this first episode i think they're going to be spending a lot of time with sansa, sansa this season it definitely felt that this episode was trying to get anyone who already wasn't on the Sansa bandwagon on it. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely excited to see where this season goes. Not a whole lot happened specifically. This was more of a reunion reestablishing where everything is at since there's been this very long hiatus between season seven and season eight. Mm -hmm. And they've planted the seeds for a lot of really interesting plots. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that happened was 
Cersei and Euron making it official, and then Yara being rescued. Oh, we actually didn't even talk about the Golden Legion is finally in Westeros. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it now means that Cersei has an army that's actually able to rival that of Daenerys. Yeah. And since I believe the big Winterfell fight, and probably the last fight with the Night King is going to be in episode three, that means the rest of the season is going to be dealing with the Daenerys versus Cersei fallout. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming the Night King doesn't break Winterfell. I'm assuming, but who knows? Yeah, like, as dark and hopeless as Game of Thrones can be oftentimes, I cannot see the ending of, oh, the Night King wing wins, everything is lost, mm-hmm. Westeros is dead. I just, I don't see it happening. I think we get some type of happy ending at the end of all this. Yeah. Question. This isn't really related to the episode, just the plot in general. Has anybody sent a letter to Essos to be like, hey, here's, like, Night King doing this stuff dragons here's what's happening with Daenerys just update story button this might be a problem for you if they cross the sea just letting you know Mm -hmm. well I mean we definitely know what people in Braavos have an idea of what's going on Mm. because you know Cersei has been in contact with them and just bought an army from them true so they probably and they also just like to keep tabs on things yeah so they're probably at least appraised of the army of the dead so there's yeah and then the rest of Essos is kind of a burning crater because Danny just left yep that's all fine. There's going to be some people coming over uh, over the mountains with their uh, like various beast folk going to cause problems. Man, the books are weird. I think that probably about does it for our first episode. Thanks um, for joining us. We hope you had a good time. If not, let us know. Let us know how it can improve. We want to make this as fun for everybody as possible. Also, if you are still hankering for more Game of Thrones content... You can go read front of the show Sarah Hollowell's pieces on the season of Game of Thrones over at Frolic, Bang of Thrones, specifically looking at the relationships of all the characters. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Link in the description, although if this goes up first, then we'll update the description when we have one. Mm-hmm. So this has been the Gratuitous Thrones podcast. Thanks for tuning in.